Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Join us as we talk about 10 things to be thankful for this year. Another 99th episode is coming up right now. No ums or ahs, Paul. Yeah, sounds good. So, hey there, listener. Happy Thanksgiving. We are rushing out this episode to be very timely with our thankfulness this year. And I think that that's what we're going to be talking about, right? Paul, you you had an idea last night that you sent me to record. Uh, Why don't you uh, fill me and the listeners in on what that is? I'll have to talk very slow to not say um excessively. Okay, no. So, so I we we talked about uh, uh, doing this podcast today uh, because I'm off. You had originally not been able to do anything. I think all weekend, but it freed up. We couldn't record last weekend. Yada yada yada. So, anyways, we're recording today, and I said, "Why don't we do an episode just about what we're thankful for?" But not the you know cheesy obvious stuff like our families or our jobs or you know stuff like that that everybody is or should be thankful for at least. Not that everybody necessarily is. But kind of the fun things that we're thankful for. And I kind of thought about the model. We did this once before. We did an episode where we did like top tens, but it wasn't about making a top ten list. It was about saying things that would be in our top tens, which kind of gives you the the loose freedom to you're not trying to be too precise. You're not trying to be too thorough. Just the things that you want to to like kind of throw out there. So it's not a deep dives like we often do on stuff. Uh, it's kind of just surface level. Like these are the things that make us happy and make us thankful in one way or another. Yeah, I think that that's that's a cool idea. I like this top tens where it doesn't have to be a definitive top ten, but just like a here's how I'm feeling about the top ten right now. I exactly. Yeah, I think that it's it's more fun to talk about like five things that would be on your top 10 list than trying to say the whole top 10 because you talk about the ones that are the most prevalent to you and you're not trying to fill out a list and then you're not trying to get to, oh which one would i choose between this and this oh it's so hard no you mm-hmm. don't get down to that so well i i did actually write down 10 things uh, was i <laughs> not supposed to <laughs> was I supposed no, no, that's fine. To actually that? i wrote down 10 things too and i actually have a few other things in my head that i'll probably throw in there so one of the things about this too is some things we might talk about a little bit more some of the things we might just touch on real quick, so that way you know it's there. There's no no preciseness involved in the the formula of how we do this. I like it. The least precise podcast. <laughs> I like those rules. I uh, sorted mine by five things that I am thankful for this year in particular, and then five more evergreen things that are things I would always be thankful for. And decided to split it up that way. I didn't organize it, but that's kind of what my mentality was to going through. Like I wanted some things that are more prevalent right now and some things that are always something that, that is positive for me. So do you want to start? Sure, I will start. I'm going to start with something that is going to be very obvious to people that have listened to multiple episodes of this podcast and that and that's that's your thankful for me yes <laughs> well well i thought this was a the family friends pets uh, health wealth and all that is all taken care of so uh, you you get rung under the, all that paul so no i'm not thankful for you <laughs> <in that sense. laughs> uh, though i'm going to start with junji ito who is a creator that you exposed me to this year and is a creator that I have really enjoyed reading his work this year. And so just the amount of enjoyment that I have gotten from finding out more about Junji Ito and exploring his longer work, Tomie, and also some of his short stories that I have quite a few of now, I uh, am I'm really happy that I found that creator and added him to my bookshelf. There's this way that my, my head processes some stuff, that, and it, it relates to fantasy football. In fantasy football, like you draft your team, but really what makes you win or lose is how you play throughout the year, picking up players off of waivers and stuff like that. And one of the things that often makes a big difference is when you get a player and your expectations are 
only this high, you know, kind of like, you know, moderate, eh, they'll be okay kind of a thing. And then they end up exceeding that expectation greatly, right? Mm. So that's like one of the ways that, that uh, my brain processes stuff. And Junji Ito, I think, is an example of somebody. It's like, okay, you hear they're worth checking out, you check them out. But then you check them out and right away they, they're not just like, oh, that's cool. But they're right away you're like, that is a top-notch thing. That's like getting a, a set-it-and-forget-it starter on your fantasy football team. Like a, a running back that's going to win the league for you. That's Junji Ito. Like, you like it so much that it elevates how you feel about something, you know? Like, you get that like that high, high level of enjoyment that usually you only get after, like, building up your, you know, your um, your interest in something, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, compared to other stuff that will be on my list later that was more of a... It has been a slow burn throughout my life that has led to my appreciation of it. This was a exactly open it up and wow, I can just immediately feel that this is something that is unique and interesting and I really enjoy. Yeah, just like that instant home run. Uh, and I'll, I'll tie into that because we could talk more about Junji Ito in the same vein. But I put just manga in general on my list because that was some that was. As a whole, that was one of those things for me where I had never read manga. I read a book that actually wasn't even manga, but it kind of made me think, like, I should check out this different pocket of stuff that I never really have. And different suggestions by people. Uh, It started with reading um, Wandering Island, which just really... I I loved that. It was so different and kind of refreshing. Like, I think people are all pretty... If you have any familiarity with uh, manga or anime, even on, like, the looser levels of, like, say, Studio Ghibli, which we talked about how, like, maybe we don't consider that anime, but, like, kind of the, the fantasy, the different world feeling, right? Like, that's Wandering Island. Like, I really feel like you're well immersed in a different world that is just fanciful. Mm-hmm. Um, Junji Ito definitely uh, was was one of those. Um, the, the series 21st Century Boy um, by... Um, Gonna blank on the name is Urasawa. Sounds right. Uh, I've only read the first volume of it, but I've gotten eight volumes of it. That's how much I loved the first volume. Uh, I also got deals on them and stuff like that, but so I got that kind of stockpiled. Uh, but yeah, just like kind of as a whole for me, manga and Junji Ito is a big part of that. Where I, there's just been several things that have been that you try it and it's instantly just top notch. Really adds that like big, big level of enjoyment in your life. So. Yeah, well, I read Tomie, the first volume, and then bought five more volumes of his work between digital and hard copies. So yeah, it was one it. of those where <laughs> it was just immediately, yes, this this is something I really enjoy and I know I'm going to want more of. I feel so successful as a podcast co-host and friend to like... recommend something that got you so hooked in so yeah just all around such a high level of enjoyment uh in you know in satisfaction all around um yeah so that's my my first thing is manga and jinji ito is a big component of that okay cool so does that back to me yeah sure okay all right next thing (laughs) this year so i've talked about this a little bit this year that one of my friends and i have been sending each other pictures of action figures every day um, for since this whole pandemic thing started and we've been working from home and doing all that. And when it, it started out, I thought I was going to have maybe a month or two worth of figures to share because one of our rules is, is no repeats. It's just one picture of an action figure and then move on. Next day is a new action figure. And we took one month off so far, but we're now eight months into this and I haven't run out of action figures, which was shocking to me that I had that many. (laughs) I couldn't really believe it, but it also exposed me to a lot of stuff and got me interested in a lot of stuff that I wasn't before all this started. And the thing that I have really enjoyed the most that I have found is these smaller indie toy makers. And these are like Spiro Toys and Boss Fight Studios and Four Horsemen. They are making toys that are on par or or better 
than what someone like Hasbro is making. And they are their own themes and their own creations. Most of these are fantasy of what I listed here, which I'm just have a natural inclination to orcs and goblins and knights and elves and all, all that kind of really nerdy crap. And so finding these action figure lines that uh, bring that to life in a really good way and in a way that is probably even better than if Hasbro or Mattel were to do something like this has been really exciting for me. And I've been wanting to talk about these a little more in depth in one of our episodes uh, but I'm just gonna, I think, leave it at that. That I'm finding a lot of enjoyment from these smaller, more indie toy makers that are really doing it out of their love of the hobby and love of action figures, rather than being driven by weird business decisions like someone like Hasbro sometimes is, which can often lead to aggravating situations. These toy makers all really just want their products to get in people's hands and are trying to make the best thing possible. And that's just, is really cool. It's, it's like uh, when you find a indie comic creator that is just pouring their passion into it and they do so much better work in their indie stuff than in their work for hire big two stuff. That's kind of a similar analogy to what I'm finding with these uh, smaller indie toy makers. Awesome. And <laughs> you set me up so good with Segway sometime. I'm, I'm going to take that to actually mention a couple of comic creators that fit that bill exactly. Well, hey. Uh, and so this is, you know, we talked about like things that are kind of more right now, things we're thankful for, or things that are longer term. And uh, Matt Kent and Jeff Lemire are two comic creators that I have really enjoyed for a long time. And I discovered both of them back when I was uh, really into Valiant and... Matt Kent, we've talked about this before, actually, on the podcast, but he was the first comic creator that I put together, like, I like this book, I like this book, oh, look, this guy writes both of them. Uh, Jeff Lemire, I checked out before he started writing for Valiant when I knew he was going to, uh, because I didn't know any any of his stuff, and I read uh, Volume of Sweet Tooth, I think was the first thing that I read of his, and... I think with both of them, you can clearly see that their uh, individually made things are much better and really have their heart in it. And the stuff that they've done for big companies uh, has been different. Even Matt Kim with Valiant, I think you can see that earlier on when he was really free to do what he wanted to do, that there was a lot of heart and creativity in it. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like towards the end of his run with Valiant was when the company was shifting a lot. And I think you could see in the quality of his work that it was just doing the job at that point. Yeah, I think he was also called on to try to put together pieces of a situation that had kind of crashed to the ground and, and broken and fractured. Yeah. Hey, we ruined this. Can you fix this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we try to make more money off of it. It's uh, funny. Yeah, uh, so I, yeah. Matt Kent almost made my list just because of how much I enjoyed mind management this year. That's probably my best read of the year was mind management. Yeah. I kind of adore Matt Kent between the two of them. Like I, I still greatly like Jeff Lemire, but Matt Kent just in so many different ways. I really enjoy him. Uh, his, his Kickstarter stuff, his, I, I mean, like you see his passion with mind management and all the little stuff he does. You see it with Jeff Lemire with the, the Black Hammer universe also. And, but Matt, like Matt, Matt Kent, like he's played in my fantasy football league. Uh, he's like, I've, I've talked to him uh, some just like in chats, you know, like DM chats rather than just like a, a response on a Twitter post or something like that. And, I don't know. There's just so many things about Matt Kent. He so I I got the whole run of the Sixth Gun, which I've only read a little bit of it so far. But part of the reason I got that is Kent had posted that he was doing uh, sketches in the covers of the hardcovers on uh, Brian Hurt's website. He was the artist for Sixth Gun. So Matt Kent has nothing to do with Sixth Gun other than like he he's partnered up with Brian Hurt and uh, and one other creator in their own like little studio. And they were selling the whole run of trade paperbacks for a really, really good price. And because it was a paperback, not a hardcover, rather than sketching one of the books, uh, Matt just did like a little small sketch. And I loved it. And I have that up on my wall. And just like so many little details like that, like his, his love and passion for what he does and his genuineness like really shows through. 
so yeah, so those, those are two that I wanted to mention. I wanted to throw on a little bonus one off my list, or that wasn't on my list too. Uh, I was debating how to do this, but I don't want to get to the end and be like, I have all these extra things to say, so <laughs> I figured I'd just slip them in. Um, and that's uh, pro wrestling. I got back into wrestling because of my wife's cousin. And this has nothing to, to do Maine. with Matt Kent or no. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is just a, a bonus item. <laughs> okay, uh, all right. Yeah. Just, just sprinkling in the random bonus here and there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you, you got a list of ten. I don't want to get to the end of your list and have more things I want to say. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I thought uh, <laughs> I thought this was going to be related somehow. It's like no, and, no, no. And also, <laughs> these lists are splits. random and unstructured. You. <laughs> You're going to get the full brunt of my completely unstructured uh, mental process here. All right. Sounds good. So pro wrestling is something that I've, I I grew up, like as a kid, I I grew up liking it for quite a few years. And then when I got to be a teenager, I stopped watching it altogether, uh, partially because of changes in the product. I didn't like what it was doing. That was during the Attitude Era. I hated the Attitude Era. I just like everything got really crass and like I thought it was embarrassing, to be honest. Getting older, I I got back into it because of my wife's cousin, who is, uh, like, my only local friend now. And I've really learned to enjoy different things. And I've learned to alter my expectations to where it's, like, you don't start getting let down when, you know, like, WWE starts putting out crappy product or whatever. Uh, but I, I've really enjoyed it. And I just kind of reflecting on it. I just like the things that we talk about that we love in, in storytelling and comics or stuff like that. There's that kind of great stuff in wrestling. And like right now, there's one guy, Eddie Kingston, who got a contract with AEW, who is an organization that started up about a year ago and is like legitimately a rival to WWE. And Eddie Kingston was like an indie guy forever. I had actually seen him a little bit on a show called NWA Power which the NWA is, like, its own wrestling organization, but it's, like, very small now. And they had a YouTube show. Like, that's the extent of their, you know, their their shows, is it actually just put out on YouTube each week. And Eddie Kingston was about the only guy who stood out on that show. And then he shows up in AEW for a one-off match. And it was just, like, once again, we're talking about pouring your heart and soul into stuff, and that's what he does. And, like, he really tells the story and makes you feel things, you know? So... Just wanted to slip that little extra bonus one in there that I didn't have on my list. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, I had the perfect segue from your previous entry <laughs> before you, the wrestling tangent. <laughs> but <laughs> so I'm going to uh, try to back off. Of... Funny you mentioned all those creators, Paul, because <laughs> <laughs> a creator that I have really enjoyed this year and has rekindled my appreciation for a certain franchise that had been really fizzling at least in terms of the modern output and my appreciation was really relegated to what had come out in the past but all that changed very recently when Jonathan Hickman took over the X-Men franchise at Marvel and I have really been enjoying X-Men since he took over the House of X and Powers of 10 was really fantastic and the X-Men series I've called it one of my favorite superhero books I've ever read and I'm about a quarter of the way through my reading of uh, the Ten of Swords the X of Swords and I'm going to be finishing up I think all of that probably this weekend that's one of the things I'm gonna be doing with my long weekend time here that and probably trying to get my butt into actually sending you all those digital codes for it (laughs) so that uh, you can catch up on it too but it's just been really enjoyable to really love what's going on with x-men again because it's one of those that i'm always going to like the property in a just a general appreciation sense like how i'm always going to love star wars even if sometimes there's good movies sometimes there's bad movies sometimes things you know are there's ups and downs in terms of the actual output that's coming out and same with x-men but right now it is up and i am just really excited about that and really enjoying it so thank you jonathan hickman and all the other creators involved with him which are too numerous to list um for creating really great comics that I am thankful for this year. That's great. Yeah, I, 
that that uh, Chris Claremont I actually have on my list, and uh, not just because of the X Men, although it is centered around the X Men, but he his X Men is what opened me up to reading older comics. I had a hard time, and I mean, it's still it's difficult to pick up comics from the seventies or eighties, let alone before that, and read them. And wanting to read Claremont's X-Men is what kind of broke that open for me. And, like, even now, like, I haven't read X-Men consistently. I'm still working, like, I'm in the 200s and something in his run. And it still takes work to get back in the rhythm of reading it, but I it, I can do it now and I see the payoff. He also, like, checking that out, just because I liked the X-Men, it was less about Claremont and more about the X-Men... Um, but then like his run and his quality of writing, of course, like gives you this great big body work, but getting exposed to the different artists, like, um, John Byrne, Dave Cockrum, like all those guys really opened up my appreciation of the way comic art could be then. And nowadays it's very different. Like, uh, if somebody had the same style as those guys did, it would be considered like very like impressionistic. And because you just get so much more clarity nowadays that you couldn't get then. So, like, you needed that kind of, um, you know, a little bit more vagueness in it. Uh, but, yeah, so, like, Chris Claremont's X-Men opened up uh, a big world of reading to me that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And, like, I always have, I, I have kind of a capacity for how much big two superhero comics I could read at a time. And it pretty much just decided to fill that with uh with that world of the x-men now um i actually i just sold like half my comic collection decided just to focus on x-men and i'm one issue away now from having 94 to 300 completed and i got like i think about 40 issues i need after 300 to finish the the end of that first uncanny run i have no intentions of trying to collect one through 93 uh i grab one here and there when something falls into my lap but but yeah, so that, that's kind of a, a big world of something different for me that I really have appreciated. Well, it's funny you say Chris Claremont is on your list because he's also on my list. What you, a coincidence. Yeah, he was further down on in my more evergreen section of my list. And I put him on there just because of how much he made X-Men what it is. And if not for Chris Claremont, I think X-Men would just be another one of these Marvel titles like Avengers or Fantastic Four to me that just, I know they exist and I can kind of like them, but they're not, they don't, they're not something I really sink my teeth into. They're not something that really grab me and hold my attention like X-Men does. And I feel like X-Men is, is, is different in that way. And it has a lot more depth to it than something like the Avengers does. And all of that comes down to Chris Claremont and what he did with it and how he developed these uh, themes of mutantdom and how they relate to the world so that it became more than just good guys versus bad guys. It also became good guys versus bad guys versus a world that hates and fears them. And I think that that is really the one of the key elements that Chris Claremont really developed, but that makes X-Men such a unique title, uh, much more so than the others, at least uh, to me. And so I'm very appreciative of and thankful for Chris Claremont and everything he did to make the X-Men what they are today, which allows somebody like Jonathan Hickman to come along and blow my mind with what he's doing with it. I don't think you could have Hickman's X-Men without Claremont's X-Men. In relation to that, I, I saw somebody post on Twitter the other day something kind of poking fun at that, you know, nobody talks about X-Men before Claremont. Nobody really talks about Daredevil before Frank Miller. Like there are these creators that took a, took a product that was, you know, flagging or, you know, whatever, and pushed it into mattering. Right. Sure. And then yeah. I combined that with seeing somebody else tweeting. Uh, so somebody had like tweeted out a, you know, what's the best Thor run. And it was like, you know, Walt Simonson's run, um, uh, Jason Aaron's run, Kirby, and like whoever else. Uh, I like I don't remember everything that was on there, but the 
more recent one, like Walt Simonson and Jason Aaron, I think were the two runs that were getting more attention because, you know, most likely more people have read them. But somebody's reaction, like, you know, being irritated at the lack of respect for Kirby. I've, I've said this before, like I've heard, I've tried a little bit to read Jack Kirby's work. Uh, and obviously like he's the artist on most of it, but it's so hard to read that stuff. Like, I understand the importance of what was done. I also understand like the greatness of Jack Kirby's artwork, but as far as like a consumable product, like what makes it better just because it was first. And I think that like Chris Claremont with the X-Men is a good example of that. Who cares about what came before? If you don't care about, I mean, you, you can care about what came before that care about the, the Claremont stuff, but like we wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't for Chris, Chris Claremont. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just because you like the, you know, some of the creators that were on it before or whatever, like, I've tried to read some of the older X-Men before Claremont and, you know, like, honestly, I've never, I've never read any Stan Lee stuff that that drew me in. Like, I have not crossed that gap of uh, being able to read Stan Lee's writing, so. Yeah, Um, it's tougher. I've read most of that X-Men stuff. Uh, I think a lot of it I read pretty darn quickly. Some of the stuff, I think, when uh, Roy Thomas and Neil Adams get in there gets kind of interesting, and that's in the 50s and 60s, if I remember right. That starts to pick up a little bit, but I agree. Earlier stuff, it's just clunky, and that's one thing I've been noticing because I've been reading The Fourth World, Jack Kirby's Fourth World, Mm -hmm. and I am about halfway through the third volume of that right now out of four volumes, so I'm a decent way through it, and sometimes it is just this amazing explosion of imagination and storytelling and just ideas thrown out there that are awesome. But then the other half of the time, it's just really clunky, childish storytelling. And so it's this odd mix of those two things. And so I'm reading it much more for the wild, imaginative stuff and try to kind of breeze through the clunky storytelling part of it. Yeah, you got to appreciate it for what it is. We created a monster, and he's on the loose. Come on, gang. Let's go show this monster who's the boss. All right. Oh, no. He's throwing me into the lake of lava. Good thing I'll swoop in and save you. Blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, (laughs) that level of uh, really clunky storytelling at times. Yeah, when I was a kid and watched wrestling, uh, I would like rent any wrestling tape I could find ever because, uh, I mean, there was only so much you could find. And I remember one time seeing a match. I think it was Greg the Hammer Valentine. He he gets up on the, the second rope and does this, like, very tame little fist drop off the rope onto his opponent, you know. And I just remember the announcer being like, high-flying move by Greg Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, this was long enough ago that like now the stuff they do makes what they were doing at that time seem very tame. But it like it just goes to show stuff changes, and you know you you do get those people that are like you know this is what wrestling should be. And it's like well you know what if that's what wrestling was now nobody would be watching wrestling. Stuff mm-hmm. changes, stuff evolves. You might you, you can look at what was great about it, and then that's one like I I like the wrestlers now that look at that old stuff and see what was great about it and keep that in it heavily, you know? But that doesn't mean that the guys that are just doing their their own new things and, like, innovating and pushing stuff as much aren't also doing great things. Same thing with the, with the comics, you know? You, you look back and appreciate what's there, but, like, when you get to that, like, you know, kids these days mentality, like, you know, if you don't love what came first the most, then you don't really love anything. It's like, no, that's 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 just not true. Yeah. Okay, so I was last. I think I went last with my follow-up with Chris Claremont, so it's back to you. All right. Okay, so I'm going to just go to the next thing on my list and total tangent off. Like I said, I I didn't try to put these in any kind of order. Um, But I'm thankful for headphones. I like headphones. I I really like good headphones. A while back, I got my first pair of of Bluetooth headphones. They were JBL brand, um, and I, I loved them. And then they broke, and I was so sad. And then eventually I got, um, I, I tried some of the ones that go, like, in your ear holes, which I've always kind of been like, no, no, I don't want those. But I finally tried a nice pair of true cordless on-ear, in-your-ear hole JBL headphones. 
and they were pretty good, but I missed the, like, the on-ear headphones, you know, like, you just put your headphones on top of your head, and, uh, I found a pair of Skull Candy headphones that were normally, like, $100 Bluetooth headphones on clearance for, like, 30 bucks. so I got those, I was like, okay, you know, these are, these are pretty good, they're not, still not quite what I would want, but they're pretty good, and then I'm on eBay one day, and there's a pair of JBL on-ear headphones that were, um, I think they were originally, like, $100 headphones, but they're, like, they've aged into being $60 headphones, but they were on sale for $20. I was like, hell yes, because I like, I just, I like JBL, apparently. So I got those. So I have all these different headphones, and then, um, I, the other day, it dawns on me, like, you know, if, when I'm playing my PlayStation, uh, I plug my little earbuds into the controller, and the sound is crap. Uh, like, it cuts in and out sometimes, and, like, you can't turn the volume up at all. And I just got to thinking, because there's all these Black Friday deals now, like, maybe having uh, a proper video game headset would be worth it. So I talked to a couple of people that I thought might have headsets and got their input and stuff and queued in on getting a Sony PlayStation Gold headset. Uh, I don't have it yet. Uh, I'm getting it for Christmas for my mom. But it's it's wireless. Uh, you just you plug the USB into the PlayStation, and so like pretty simple wireless. And I'm very excited about it because one, it should have much better sound quality. Two, it's wireless. So like if I watch a movie, like most time if I want to watch a movie, nobody else cares. So like I have to go watch it in my room. And if I'm watching a grown up movie, might have some grown up language that I can't play out loud around my son, you know. So I will wear headphones. Uh, so, th- cool. like, I'm super excited about the thought of not being tethered to a controller watching a movie on my TV, you know? Uh, so, yeah, just, like, headphones as a whole. Like, I've, like, kind of recognizing what I like in headphones, I really like having headphones around. Cool. That's that's an interesting one, an offbeat one. But I get it. I have a gaming headset that I've had since my Xbox 360. It has, like, surround sound, multiple speakers in the ear covering so that it can make sounds sound like it's coming from behind you and stuff like that and i got it when i was playing a lot of call of duty because it would actually do three-dimensional sound so you could hear somebody is oh somebody's behind me or somebody's on the left or somebody's on the right and that then became pretty darn useful when i was playing a lot of PUBG because PUBG is a game that really requires the sound element to uh, make the game playable in a lot of ways in in a lot of ways without with no sound it's like not even playing or just being at such a severe disadvantage that it's just not worth it but the headset really really makes it worth it the only bummer for me is that my wife hates it when i have it on because it blocks out all sound (laughs) so she can't even talk to me or anything when i've got that headset on but it is really useful and i have another really (laughs) nice set of headphones that i have at my computer desk that i'm actually wearing right now to hear you and they are a nice pair of sony music studio headphones and everything sounds really great on them Nice. I'm using cheap earbuds, which I think suits the quality of our podcast. Ah, there you go. (laughs) I'm trying to fancy it up, and you're (laughs) slumming it. (laughs) Yeah, I have a microphone, at least. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to jump to one of mine, and this is going to be an evergreen one for me. And this is just comic book collecting in general and how much it has added to my life. And mainly, I think that those additions come from most of my friends. I know because of this whole comic book world and fandom world, like a lot of my really good friends are people that I first met online. Hey, and like you, you're a person that I first met online, you know, and now we talk once a week and it's, it's really awesome. And I've got a lot of other friends like that where I met them because we all were fans of a certain podcast 10 years ago and decided to meet up at a convention. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, friends I've grown out of the Valiant fandom and other such things. It's uh, really added to my life and given me a lot of friends and contacts that I wouldn't otherwise have. And it has added to my life in a way 
that is much bigger and greater than just the comic books in my long boxes would make it seem. So I'm I'm very thankful for this hobby and all the connections and friendships that have come about because of it. I can I concur. I don't have anything to add. You you nailed it. Cool. <laughs> so I'll go on to my next one. I'll just go down my list to the next entry. So it is kind of a mix between a right now and an evergreen thing. Um, so the right now part of it is I'm thankful for the Lakers and Dodgers both winning championships this year. Ha, I thought that was funny because I was going to lead off by saying, <laughs> you know, this isn't a list for, you know, our friends and family or that the Dodgers won the World Series or <laughs> that sort of thing. But I, I'm, I'm, I guess it is. It, it is. I'm, I'm very thankful for it. And this is why it matters more, too. So I, I've I've been a sports fan for a long time, but it's built up over time. That's one of those, like, we're talking evergreen things where, like, the enjoyment you get is a gradual building. Like, somebody can decide, like, yeah, I'm going to follow basketball. I'm going to root for this team. Oh, look, this team won. I'm happy. There's a big difference between that and, you know, with the Lakers, I've watched them lose for a decade, you know, and be pretty much really bad for a decade. And then this year, on top of that, having Kobe die at the beginning of the year and, uh, like, you know, all this stuff. So, like, it getting capped off with them winning. Like, one, it was a, a decade of watching them lose. I know a lot of other teams, like, don't even have the level of success of, like, hoping to win one within a decade. But, you know, a decade is still a long time. So, getting that, the Dodgers has been 32 years. I was too young to know anything when they won the last World Series. I was five years old. And uh, so I've rooted for them my whole life uh, without the expectation of them getting there. You know, like the Lakers, the expectation is kind of instilled there. But the Dodgers, that it's not there. But they've won, um, I think it's eight division titles in a row. So, like, they've been in the postseason for eight years in a row uh, they've had that success for eight years in a row. And then in the last four years, you go back, you know, four World Series ago, they should have won that one. They got cheated by the Astros. And then the next year, they, they were against the Red Sox, and the Red Sox were just better. And the year after that, they were in the playoffs again. They got knocked out by the team that ended up going on to win the World Series. But, you know, like, you put that hope, you invest that emotion into it year after year, even when they're bad. And when you finally get the win, it means a lot. Uh, and, you know, this year, just with everything going on, both of those teams winning meant a lot. And it's, you know, like, like I said, it's a right now where I'm still just like enjoying that they won these championships. And those mean a lot to me. And, um, you know, like you sent me an, an L.A. Times of the Dodgers winning. Um, I found a Lakers magazine commemorating it. I actually had to order a Dodgers one online uh, from Sports Illustrated. I've kind of started dabbling into sports card collecting again from a different angle because of like just the excitement wanting to like you know have some kind of like commemorative things of these players and stuff like that but the reason it means so much isn't because i just decided you know decided to enjoy it right now or you know just started following or like i'm from la and my la teams won it's because like I've invested the emotion into it year in and year out for, you know, the Lakers, I started really getting invested like 20 years ago when they won their first championship with Shaq and Kobe. I was in high school then, or like just out of high school. And I think I was still in high school then. And like, that's when I started being invested in basketball. Football goes back a little bit further. And then baseball was a few years after that, uh, when I started doing more than just, you know, I'm a Dodgers fan because I'm a Dodgers fan. I started actually like paying attention to following it. So like so all the, all the payoffs, like Lakers player wise, there's nobody that's like, oh, I've been rooting for them so long and they finally got it. It's just like, you know, as a team, we, we got back there, but the Dodgers like Kershaw deserves a championship and seeing him get that means a lot. And you know, stuff like that. So, like, the different kinds of investments in the two teams, too, with, like, the player construction and the way, you know, the different sports go about making a team, basically. But that's uh, – it's meant a lot to me, not only this year, but just those years of buildup before it, too. Cool. That's that's great. I have uh... – as a fan of the A's, I'm not really sure what that feels like <laughs> because it's been a long time since the A's have uh, 
been in a, a winning position. We're we've been a, a team that is good at making playoffs and really good at losing playoffs over the years. And um, in the height of when I was really going to a lot of A's games, it was right in those seasons when, like in the early 2000s, when the A's had their 20-game winning streak, made the playoffs, and then just fell apart. And then that happened year after year after year. But it, uh, but that I, I know how exciting that can be. So that is very cool. I'm I'm happy for you and I'm happy for LA. Most of all, I'm happy for you because you're the I think person that I know is that's most excited for all this of all my friends. So that's really cool. Which is funny since I live three thousand miles away now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, by people there. All my friends are nerds, not like sports fans. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go to uh, the next on my list, and this is a more of a timely one, and that is The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian TV show on Disney Plus has just been really fun, and I have enjoyed it more than just about any Star Wars thing in a while. It does a perfect blend of appeasing fans with little inside things and references and stuff like that, but also just telling a good fun story at the same time. So in in the most recent episode, there was a character that showed up who is a character from previous animated shows. And you don't need to know that she's a character from animated shows to really uh, enjoy the episode. But when you do know that it just adds an extra bit of depth and layer to it that is really exciting and that's just i think they're doing it perfectly they're finding that perfect balance between pleasing fans and telling a good story it kind of reminds me of rogue one in that way and i'm just been really enjoying it and the new season is on right now so every friday it's something that i look forward to and my wife and i watch it together and we have a great time and so yeah i'm very thankful for that I've watched a handful of episodes, and you know I'm not a big Star Wars fan. Uh, I've I've tried to get into the movies and stuff like that again, and yeah, you know, I mean I've watched them in the past, but like I just eh, you know just not there. But I finally decided to try watching The Mandalorian, and the first few episodes I was incredibly impressed by, and I was like, oh man, I'm gonna binge this so fast that we're gonna talk about this the next time we record, mm-hmm. and then I just kind of slowed down and stopped. But I'm still enjoying it. I just um, once you got past the first few episodes, the story structure slows down some, and it's, you know, the first few are definitely, like, so compelling, you're like, I can't stop watching. Uh-huh. But I, I've really enjoyed it, and I haven't enjoyed a Star Wars thing like that, and I think it's very different structure in how they're telling the story, and because it's focusing on this different character, rather than the movies are focusing on, you know, broader things. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's more potent, it gets to the point more, it's, it's, uh, each episode's under an hour, so you know you're gonna get, like, a story payoff quicker, it's been good, I've enjoyed it. I think you'll find the end of the season picks up back again. That's usually the how, case, how too. how things were at the beginning, yeah. The middle of the season, it does kind of fall into, a now they're in this place and having a little problem they have to solve, and now they're in over in this other place and have a little mission they have to go on, and that, that yeah. sort of thing. The episode in the first season where they're on the the planet of like farmers, basically. Oh uh, yeah, versus uh, the ATST and the yeah. yeah, that was I think the cheesiest episode. <laughs> it hit like all the cheesy notes of, will he find love with this widow? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and yeah stuff sure. like that. Uh-huh. There was a lot of that was like ah oh, cringe, but it was still it was still good, and you know the the big fights and stuff were good and yeah, whatever, but. Yeah. yeah, it's been enjoyable. Um, so my next thing is um, is is video game related, and I'm thankful for easy mode on video games because <laughs> I enjoy playing video games. I enjoy stories. Sorry. <laughs> of funny (laughs) okay yeah go ahead i've been able to enjoy video games so much more since stopping trying to make them as difficult as i can do because like i i'm good enough at video games to play i mean normal is you know like i can do normal no problem 
a lot of video games I could probably do like the harder settings if I wanted to. But man, it is so much more fun to play it on easy for me because I want to experience the story. I want to keep moving. I don't want to get stuck in a place and like I don't have the time for all that stuff. You know, it's like my time is very limited and I can't spend hours on something and get nowhere and feel like it was worth it. I need to keep moving on stuff. And since I finally made this decision to like, I'm just, I I don't remember what game it was, but there was some game I'm like, I'm tired of dragging on this. I'm just going to switch it to easy and, you know, get moving. I've really enjoyed it. I've played games, so many more games than I would have been able to play because of doing it. And I've enjoyed the hell out of them, even though they're on easy mode, because even on easy, it's like, I don't die very often. And honestly, the only reason I ever die is because I don't have to go in and like try to be perfect on stuff. It's been super enjoyable. Like, I just finished playing Shadow of the Tomb Raider last. Uh, I played it very quickly. If I didn't move through it quickly, it's like there's other things I want to play. So I might have, like, just been like, screw this, I don't, I'm not even going to bother with it. So playing games on easy mode has opened up the the likelihood of me playing things I otherwise wouldn't play. Because I can just play and enjoy them. Interesting. So I had a, a recent experience with a game I've talked about here, which is The Long Dark. And it's a survival game where basically you're in a frozen wilderness. You have to try to survive. There's hostile wildlife that will try to hunt you down. And it has pretty uh, a, a few different game modes. I've always played it on essentially normal difficulty, but then it has a, a hard difficulty, an insane difficulty, and then uh, like an easy mode. And so I started a game on the hard difficulty, and it was very challenging. And this is a game where you can't just save your game and reload. It's basically if your character dies, the game ends. Also, if something bad happens to your character, like you get attacked by a wildlife that puts you close to death, it automatically saves the game. So you can't just reload your previous save because if you do that, you'll just reload to exactly where you were about to die. So it's very punishing in that way and and unforgiving it doesn't allow that kind of meta way of you know having your saves and reloading earlier saves to try something different it's basically you're stuck with the decision you made so i put it on the hard mode and it was very challenging but then i just died for a stupid reason i got attacked by some wildlife and i bled out because (laughs) i did the wrong thing rather than (laughs) patching up my wounds in the game so then I put it on easy mode, which is basically no wildlife will attack you. You just get to walk around this frozen wilderness looking for resources, which I liked in some way, but I found that I also liked the challenge. Without the challenge, it, it the challenge was part of, it was both frustration, but it was also the reward also at the same time. For yeah, me, so. and, and that's where different types of games are going to be different. Like the games I'm talking about playing on easy mode are games with story, where it's like, I want to enjoy the story, see the world. But it's like, you're not going to do a, a a maze that's a straight line. Like, you can be like, oh, look, I did it. Yes, that was satisfying. No, yeah, like uh, a yeah, maze uh-huh. is, you have to, it has to be tricky, right? You're not going to do a crossword puzzle that every word is the, you know I mean? <laughs> You're <laughs> like so, there needs to be challenges. So, like here's an example, like a, pu- a puzzle game that's on the Switch Online. I don't even know what the hell it's called. It's just um, it's sort of like a Minesweeper in a way, where you have to like deduce based on numbers around the grid and stuff like that, like which tiles you should break and which ones you shouldn't. If there's no challenge to that, that's absolutely no fun. So you have Mm -hmm. to have the challenge and then like, you know, you keep on progressing up in it, doing tougher and tougher challenges. So those are two totally different things. This morning I was playing uh, Cuphead. I just downloaded it last night. Uh, My son has been like super interested in it and uh, I traded some stuff in. I got a Nintendo points card, whatever. And and so I I purchased the game and there there's no modes on that one. There's no easy, medium, hard, whatever. And let me tell you, that game is totally unforgiving. Uh, it's like that. playing yeah. Super Mario Brothers. You know, Super Mario Brothers, very unforgiving. You know, you, you got to be precise and stuff like that. Cuphead, like I was trying to play through this level, I only have three hit points. There's no way to recover health in it. So basically, you get hit three times, you're dead. And over and over, I would die for stupid little reasons, and it was driving me nuts. And finally, I finished the level, and... 
I got an A on it, like, because I, I got all the things you could get. Like, the only thing I didn't do perfect was I got hit once that time. And it was satisfying. I played that level over and over and over, probably, like, 30 times. Uh, it's not, like, a super-duper long experience to get through the level or anything. Like, if the levels were, you know, 20 minutes long, period, I would probably hate it because that would be too unforgiving. But they're short, so it's okay to do it over and over and over to try to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, um, the one thing that is more forgiving than like Super Mario Brothers is you're not limited on lives. So you can die a billion times. It doesn't matter. You just keep on trying again, right? So very different experiences. Like if, if Cuphead was too easy, it would be a stupid game I didn't like, you know? My son loves Minecraft, but he likes playing on creative mode and building stuff. I don't care about building stuff on Minecraft, so it is incredibly tedious to me to play Minecraft with him. I do it purely because he wants me to but he likes building stuff and can build amazing things so actually watching him build stuff is way more enjoyable to me than anything i could possibly try to build because i just i don't want to um so yeah it it really depends on the game but for story driven games being able to play in easy mode it's like watching a movie you know like if you put a movie on and you had to every two minutes it went to like a screen of just prose that you had to read you probably wouldn't keep trying to watch that movie because you just want to enjoy the damn story right sure so it's kind of like that okay makes it approachable okay my next thing is the time i've had to work on custom gi joe projects cool i've been making a lot of custom figures and basically pull apart several different figures, reconfigure them, maybe use a head that I bought from some online shop that makes custom heads for action figures, paint them up and put them back together again and make my own versions of Joe's that either never got a modern version or the modern version is way too expensive to buy. So I just made my own. It's been a a really fun way to uh, finish off my collection And it's really satisfying after putting a lot of time into something and then being really happy with uh, the results at the end of it. That's awesome. I've seen you do that. That's very cool. My next one is is yoga. I won't take very long to talk about. The reason I like yoga, not only is it, it's stretching in a radial way. So it's not like, you know, when you're in high school as a kid, you do toe touches and crap like that, but you're only stretching your muscles in one straight direction. Uh, so like as far as what it does for my body, it makes me feel a lot better. Um, you know, plus if you do more intense stuff, like it's actually, uh, exercise as well as stretching, but I'm not trying to do that right now, but the mindfulness too, cause it's very much about paying attention to your body and not trying to, to exceed your limits. And as I've done yoga for many years, you know, watching YouTube videos, I've done some classes before, learning to really like really recognize that and that it's more important to not try to do something that's too much for you. Uh, it's really important to listen to your body and be attentive, but that like it really slows you down and you're paying attention to yourself. And I did, I did yoga this morning. I shared with you before we started recording, but, um, I woke up this morning feeling the pressures of life on me and I said, okay, what do I need to do to kind of get myself going in a better direction for this, uh, this holiday that I have today? And that's what I did. Cool. I know that's something that I would like to try, and I think my wife would like to try, so maybe, we, maybe we'll try it together. All right, I'm going to jump to another one of my evergreen ones. I think everything else left is evergreen on my list, and that is uh, punk rock. Punk rock music is something I have always listened to. Well, not always. Since I was 14 years old, I've listened to, <laughs> and... And I've just always go back to it as music that just helps me just calm down and relax in in a weird way. Like when I have a bad day and I'm feeling just pent up and anxious, I can put on Minor Threat and it helps me calm down in a weird way. I think the music ends up helping channeling a lot of those uh, negative feelings out and away and kind of processing and letting them move through me in a way and it's just something that I've always gone back to and it's always been uh, a part of my life and something that I think I'm going to be listening to my entire life it's it's you know there's times I listen to other stuff and I kind of move away from it for a while but then I always end up going back to it I've never just stopped listening to that it's always something I go back to and uh, I'm 
I'll be, I'll be punk until the day I die. Awesome. Uh, my next one is, so I mentioned card collecting earlier. I started dabbling in that a little bit. Rated rookie cards. So like, I remember as a kid, Donruss had the rated rookies. And then when I got into card collecting, like at the, the hobby level, when I first moved to Maine, so it was like 10 ish years ago, I was buying like higher end stuff. And, uh, the, the company like it's Panini. They bought out a bunch of like the the small companies that used to exist. Like so, they had the rated rookie thing. I even had a rated rookie T shirt because I just thought it was cool. But then getting back into collecting, I'm like, okay, what am I trying to collect? Like arbitrary cards, even of the players I like. Like you know, wh- what do I look for? Like a, a basic boring base card gets kind of boring. Um, and then one thing I started looking at is like the 49ers are a good example right now, where they have young players that are exciting and I could get their rookie card with the, and they do it across like different brands within the company Panini. Uh, but I like, I just kind of like the ones with the rated rookie logo on them. Uh, so I started getting different of those. And like on eBay, it's been like, you know, a couple bucks here, a couple bucks there. And I really enjoyed it. So I kind of find it, found a new way to engage with an old hobby that is much more affordable and sustainable. I have a target of what I'm going for. I'm not trying to do something that's too big or too much. Like, for example, the one of the things I was trying to find when I was considering getting back into a little bit was a George Kittle rookie card. And I used to always try to get the autographed rookie cards. And George Kittle cards, man, they're expensive. Even like a, a, just a not autographed regular George Kittle rookie card is not cheap. Hmm. Um, so... I still haven't figured out how to get a, get a freaking George Kittle rookie card, but uh, you know, I found that there's just other stuff I can get that doesn't have to be this super specific thing. It's kind of like uh, with X Men, I can get all these other issues. Not every issue is that Grail that costs a hundred dollars, you know. Sure. Okay. So rated rookie cards. Your turn. Cool. All right. All right. So my last two are going to be just some of my favorite things ever, and I'm going to go with J.R.R. Tolkien. And the Lord of the Rings books are some of my favorite books, just period. But also what he did to create fantasy in a lot of ways is also one of the things that I really like. I mentioned earlier that I've been getting into a lot of indie toy makers and a lot of them are making more fantasy themed uh, figures. And I think all of that really comes from Tolkien. You know, knights and elves and dwarves and goblins and orcs, you know, that's all Tolkien right there. You know, wizards and tree folk and stuff like that. It's all comes from Tolkien. He kind of created this, uh, the blueprint or the prototype for fantasy and it's grown and built since then. But he's another one where it's, it's like... You, he's the Chris Claremont of fantasy in that yeah. if, yeah, sure, there was stuff that existed before him, but he's the one that really made it what it is and that has now allowed other people to grow and build on top of that. And so just for what he has created and what he is adding to uh, everything and, and how I'm able to enjoy the things that come about be, that build off of what he did is as much a reason for uh, why I'm thankful for Tolkien as much as just the things that he did. So it's it's both his work and his legacy of his work that I am thankful for. That's awesome. I agree with that. Uh, my next one is uh, eating vegan. Um, mm, cool. Not So, I mean, you might hear that and think that, you know, a lot of people are vegan for, for idealistic reasons or stuff like that. Or, you know, for me, it's been a, a battle with trying to, to get a balance with what I'm eating because I'm de- I've developed a lot of food allergies and sensitivities and stuff as I've gotten older. And so eating has gotten really difficult. And I decided to switch to eating vegan because I was starting to eliminate so many things anyways. I decided just to kind of take the, the plunge. And what I've found is drawing a firm line in the sand makes it a lot easier to not cheat and do things you know you shouldn't do. Um, so with that firm line, cheating is a lot different than it would have been if I'm still having you know dairy and, and meat and stuff like that. But aside from just doing it, because like eating for me is a huge pain in the butt. So like it's not making that easier, 
but seeing how it's affecting me uh, is what makes me thankful for it. I have lost weight, but not only that, even when I feel like I'm doing bad and like my body feels bad, and usually that's a sign that like my my weight jumps up by like five to ten pounds because of inflammation and stuff. My weight is staying under two hundred pounds. And That's awesome. like no matter what, pretty much right now. So as I get better, I'm also going to see, you know, my weight drop and like it's definitely creating a better balance with stuff. And like right now, my struggle is just finding a way to get variety with nutritional balance. Um, but yeah, so like I'm, I'm thankful for that because it's allowed me to draw that line in the sand that has level set a lot of things that were... Uh, remaining chaotic before. That's cool. Yeah, I really enjoy eating vegan. It just makes me feel better. I feel like my body processes those foods better. And of course, I love meat and dairy foods because I, they're tasty, but I know that I feel better when when I avoid them. I thought you were going to take the opposite tack and be like, I really enjoy eating meat because it's just it is all right i I do i do like meat i do think it's delicious but i know that i feel better when i avoid it yeah so yeah a good example for me like i i loved pizza like i loved pizza before and it's not just like cheese why i can't eat pizza uh i can't eat gluten i can't eat spices so i can't eat the pizza sauce i can't eat pepperonis i can't like everything basically everything i loved about pizza is something that is uh, like a clear, drastic negative for me. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny to have that. Like I love this because it's making me feel good, and like the other side of the coin for my love is like everything about it would kill me. Uh, like yeah. if I knew I was gonna die in an hour, I would totally eat a big ass <laughs> pizza right now. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise cool. it's just completely completely off limits. Anyways, okay. your next one. Okay, so this is my last one. This is number 10, and this is just a totally self-indulgent thing. It is my favorite movie ever, Return of the Jedi. I just love Return of the Jedi, and it makes me so good whenever I watch it. I can just sit and watch Luke Skywalker wreck Jabba's palace all day long. I can watch that final confrontation between Luke and Vader and the Emperor in the throne room all day long. Those just really make me happy. They're just my favorite movie moments ever and my favorite movie ever. So thank you, Return of the Jedi, for <laughs> existing. That's a good one. So my, my last one is uh, sort of a cheat, too, because I get to touch on a lot of things. So we talked about kind of evergreen things. So it starts with that and then progresses through the getting exposed to new things that have that high level of reward like we talked about with Junji Ito, right? So yep. it starts with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I loved them as a kid. Uh, when I got back into comics as an adult, that was one of the comics that kind of hooked me into it. And like, there's just so much to love there, just like the way you love like G.I. Joe. And there's just so much room for growth and stretching and creativity in TMNT, whereas some stuff like, um, I mentioned it before, like Batman, for example, like you can try to do different stuff, but Batman is a very solid story, and anything is kind of just straying from the path, and then it gets pulled back on, right? TMNT, you can do crazy stuff. Uh, but TMNT led to me getting exposed to Usagi Yojimbo. A friend of mine I had was really into both, and for him, his primary was Usagi, and TMNT was kind of secondary. So he kept on telling me, like, you should check this out, you should check this out, and I finally did, and I loved it. Started with the relation with TMNT, but uh, Usagi Ojimbo, it's a good story. Uh, Stan Sakai does the whole shebang himself, for pretty much. Like, now it's colored, and he doesn't do the coloring, but, uh, like, he writes it, he draws it, you know, he, he does all that. Because of getting into Usagi... That then started exposing me to more stuff because of Stan Sakai, because I got into it enough that, okay, he's talking about his influences, so I wanted to check some stuff out. So, like, I started reading Lone Wolf and Cub, which, even though that's a manga, that's not what got me into manga, because it's kind of like I never got past that step of just stuff like right in that um, samurai or ronin category of stuff. Uh, but it definitely opened the door. So I started reading Lone Wolf and Cub and really enjoying it. That spread a little bit to other stuff like Blade of the Immortal. I started, I wanted to check out 
Kurosawa films because of it. And like, I really love samurai films and have purchased quite a few. I've started growing this collection of Criterion movies that spread out a little bit to non samurai movies too. Cause I was like, well, do I only want to do this? But then like with Criterion movies, I don't want to buy a movie unless I know I'm going to love it. It's like, I don't want to spend, you know, 20 bucks getting a movie for half price on a sale and it'd be my first time watching it and I don't like it, you know? But I've spread out with that and I've, you know, gotten different samurai movies. But then, like, I got um, a Jackie Chan set. Um, I just got a Bruce Lee set. So this thing that I'm thankful for, like, all these different things are things I'm thankful for. But it's the, you love this thing, it exposes you to something else. And then you end up loving that thing and it exposes you to something else. You get this thread of things. And for me, like, this is just... Yeah, it's just such a channel of rabbit holes that's so clear that has expanded so much for me, you know. And that's my my last thing. That's cool. That's I I like that that thing is not a specific thing, but it's a process. Yeah. It's a way of it's it's a method of engaging with all these hobbies that we talk about on the show and how to go about exposing yourself to things and appreciating things and uh, I that's that's really neat that that's your 10th one I, I really dig that and one one thing I've done too this kind of relates to this is I've kind of a like reassessed my hobbies because as you know, like this shows you I've gotten into things that I wasn't trying to spend time on before and now I am so I've kind of reassessed you know what am I spending my time on what am I spending my space on my money on um, all these different resources that go into having hobbies. And so I, I've made some decisions. Like, I got rid of all my records in my record player because I never listened to them. But I still, like, had the compulsion to want to, like, look for records. So I, I took that away. That's more time I could focus on other things, more energy I could focus on other things. I sold half my comic collection so I could focus on X-Men with my side hustle being keeping my eyes out for some Ninja Turtle stuff. Because you know what? I was building up a, uh, you know, starting to build up a nice Avengers collection. Like, do I get more joy out of some Avengers books or out of, like, randomly grabbing a TMNT book or, you know, focusing the the money on getting those last few X-Men books I need? So I narrowed my focus there. So I've kind of continually been doing that uh, lately. Plus, like, I have finite space in my office and it's always cluttered with stuff. And I just got rid of a bunch and now I need to organize, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's been good. Cool. I like it. All right. Well, let's, uh, I think, wrap this up. I think we've got a Thanksgiving day to get to. So I think it's a good day of food and family and all that stuff. So I hope you have a very happy and healthy Thanksgiving, Paul. I hope you do as well. Happy Thanksgiving to our listeners. Yes, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there uh, listening. And uh, I think we're also thankful for you for tuning in. That's pretty darn cool. All right, so I think with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. I'm not going to do all the usual rigmarole at the end. You you know all that, where to find episodes and where to find us. So if not, just listen to a previous episode or something. We probably talk about it there. So, all right, so onward to Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.